All right. We'll see if my voice holds up. If it doesn't, then this becomes a silent movie. Um, <clears throat> all right. That's another thing. With an empty room, I have no idea if I'm funny. I know I'm not funny, and I get pity laughs. So I'm not getting my pity laughs. Maybe, maybe it'll make me uh, offer le less jokes. So we're continuing today in Matthew chapter 3. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew at an extremely slow pace, um, like 10 miles an hour slow pace. So today we are in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. So just the end of, end of, uh, end of the chapter. Almost said the book. All right. I'd say please stand in, in the honor of reading of the word, but I mean, golly, your couches are probably super comfy. So let's read. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to, to John to be baptized by him. John, the Baptist, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Now last week we finished up John the Baptist, but I'm going to talk about John the Baptist because he has like one sentence, but because, but because he has one more thing to add to the equation here. Um, John the Baptist, he, he had a baptism for a particular purpose. We know that he had a baptism for repentance. That was, that was a couple, uh, couple weeks ago. And he had this practice of when he would baptize somebody, he would have them come and they would confess their sins. Uh, that, was, that was verse 6 of Matthew chapter 3. So he had this particular practice that he did over and over and over again. And then comes Jesus, who, 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 who honestly, as John the Baptist put it, I mean, he protested. He, he said, uh, no, I, he didn't want to baptize Jesus. He, he would have prevented him, verse 14, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, John the Baptist, um, just, just to make a comparison, John the Baptist is not telling Jesus he was wrong. Uh, that actually happened at another point. Uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, um, told Jesus he was wrong to do something. And that was in John chapter 13, verses 6 uh, through 8. And when the average man tells uh, God that he's, he's wrong, um, you, you can't argue. It's stupid. It's stupid to argue with God. When God says something is necessary, you, you, you give up. Now, when your boss says to do something that's against protocol, or it's not smart, or it's just not the right way to do it, or it's a waste of paper, whatever it is, right? You can argue with your boss. You can tell your boss you're, that, that they're wrong. You might not want to, depending on the boss, but you can do it. Um, when a family member tells you, tells you to do something inefficient, like vacuum one room first that you know, all the kids are gonna be running through, like, you can tell them, nah, I'm gonna vacuum somewhere else. You know, you can argue with somebody, but 
you can't argue with Jesus. At least you shouldn't. So like I said, Peter argued with Jesus um, a couple times, but, but in John chapter 13, um, it didn't work out the best for him. So let me read uh, just a few verses. You don't need to turn there if you don't want to, but it's John 13, verses 6 to 8. So Jesus comes to Simon Peter, um, and, and Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. So there we go. You're wrong, Jesus. No, 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 you're never washing my feet. And just to set the idea here, in those days, we didn't have Nikes. Uh, it, you, you, didn't, you didn't wear shoes that were totally enclosed. So wherever you walked, I mean, you got dirt on them. But not just like dirt. I mean, people would walk their cows down the road. Uh, you'd have chickens running everywhere. So animals tend to defecate. They tend to poop. And you're walking in it. So that dried dirt clay stuff isn't, isn't all dirt. So when you had somebody wash your feet, it was a lowly job. It was a servant's job. So in a way, Peter was right. Jesus shouldn't have to wash the feet to do this, this lowly thing. I mean, this dude, Jesus is doing miracles, and he's teaching the truth, and he's, being, he's doing incredible things. Why should he have to wash people's feet? So Peter might have been somewhat right in saying this, but we find out that, that honestly, in reality, he wasn't. So continuing in, in verse 8, when Peter says, You shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Well, then Peter panics. Okay, no, I, no, not just my feet only, but, but also my hands and my head. Wash me. Wash me thoroughly. Wash me. Because he freaks out. He realizes that, that he was wrong. So he does repent, but he got called out pretty heavy there. And it's kind of hard for us to, it's kind of easy for us to miss in the English um, and the Greek the point. But Jesus is saying, hey, no. He's setting a precedent. I, I, I'm the servant king. I, I have to wash you. Now, switching back to John the Baptist, um, John wasn't trying to argue with Jesus. He's, he wasn't trying to say, um, you know, you're doing this wrong. Peter, Peter straight up says, don't. You know, you'll never wash my feet. John the Baptist doesn't say that. Again, what does he say? He says, I need to be baptized by you. John the Baptist isn't being prideful or arrogant or being a know-it-all. He didn't have to recant like Peter did. But John the Baptist is showing his humility before Jesus. His neediness of Jesus. John the Baptist was unworthy of baptizing Jesus. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um... But Jesus commanded it anyway. And he did it. John the Baptist still did it. He didn't continue to protest. So we should all recognize and praise the attitude that John the Baptist showed. And really, the way that we should think about this text is may, may we have that same humility before God. To see ourselves as unworthy of doing things for God, but still acting accordingly to his commands. We need to do what God tells us to do. Arguing with God is silly. I mean, it's silly at best. 
It's stupid at worst. So now that we've got John the Baptist out of the way, um, let's, let's talk about what Jesus is talking about here. So we're going to talk about what, what Jesus said. So our second point is, is one of, the, one of, the, one of the, the proof that Jesus gives. But then the third point, the third thing we're going to talk about is the celebration that erupts actually at the end of Jesus' baptism. So when Jesus, when Jesus responds to John the Baptist, he says, uh, let, verse 15, let it be so now, let it be, let it be so right this moment. For thus it is fulfill, or fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now that's kind of a weird way of saying what he's saying, at least, at least in our English minds. What Jesus is saying is he's saying we got to do this right now. Right now because it is good, it is profitable, it is fitting for us to do this. And what's the purpose of it? To fulfill all righteousness. Now, again, Jesus, um, ba baptism was for the repentance of sins. It didn't wash your sins away. That wasn't the point of baptism. Baptism was actually for, um, for, for, for a display of repentance. It was, it was for the purpose of showing your repentance. That you have, have died to your sin... But now, that sin is dead and you're alive. So, Jesus, Jesus didn't need to be baptized. In the sense that John was doing it. John was doing it to display a, a show of, remission, of your sin needing to be gone. He made people confess before they went under. But, Jesus was sinless. He, he knew no sin, but he was baptized as if he were a sinner in need of repentance. John was right when he said that he needed to be baptized by Jesus. But think about that for a moment. Jesus sunk to such depths for us sinners. He shouldn't have had to even condescend to the human form, and yet God came to earth as man, lived among us wicked sinners, But he did. He didn't need to, or he shouldn't have had to do it, but he did it anyway. That's the wonderful love of Jesus, the wonderful love of our Savior, our Rescuer, our Redeemer. And this baptism that Jesus did, it wasn't for repentance. It was actually a signal fire. He said, we need to, we need to do this now. It's fitting for us to do it now. It was a signal fire of God's final battle to win sinners into his love and rescue them from his wrath. This act of going under the water and coming out of the water was, was, a, was a dawn out of an age of darkness. John the Baptist was a herald of this news, and he didn't expect to be, actually be a part of it, it seems, which is really cool. But he was, like, he was like the writer that goes town to town um, telling everyone of the king's coming, right? But now he gets to be the announcer. He gets to announce that even though it's night, daybreak is, is coming. So what, what, was, what, was, this, what was the point of this baptism? It, it wasn't just a signal fire. 
It wasn't just like Lord of the Rings when they all light up the torches and that tells everyone that we're gonna, they're going to go to battle, which is probably one of the coolest scenes in the whole movie. Um, or the whole series, actually. In, in my view, I, I, maybe I just like fire. But, uh, but what was the whole point of this baptism? Well, it's that it looked forward. It looked forward to Jesus and his death on the cross. How do we know that? Well, baptism is supposed to, it's supposed to signify death. The, the death of sin and the life in, in God. Jesus was baptized into death. Jesus died on the cross. So, so Jesus' baptism was looking forward to this future event. And nowadays, when we're baptized, we look back to that event. We look back to the event, not just in our lives, but the once and for all forgiveness for sinners that is, that is accomplished only through Jesus on the cross. So, honestly... I, I, I don't want to harp on baptism anymore. I'm a, I'm a Baptist. Uh, but I don't want to harp on it anymore. But if we really believe the good news that Jesus died for our sin, then we should be baptized if we aren't. Because if Jesus saw it fitting for himself, then we should see it as even more fitting for ourselves to do likewise, to be identified with, with Jesus in the action of baptism means something different for us, man, but, but it means something. It's important. When God tells you it's necessary, it's just straight up necessary. Why even argue? So when, what, what Jesus meant when he said that it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness, he meant, he meant two things, essentially. He meant, one, that this was the signal fire, that he's, he's, he's lighting the torch, this final battle is about to happen, but it also meant that he was going to die, that he was coming into this new age, this, this, this time where he was going to do his public ministry. This was like his public inauguration. Ain't nobody vote for Jesus. Jesus just is. Side note, uh, when the ballots come, please don't just write in Jesus. Um, so, so... The third thing that we see in this text, these few verses, is this incredible celebration. And I, I, I'm calling it a Trinitarian celebration because all three persons of God do something here. Um, now, 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 the Trinity is one of those things that we try to explain. We try to explain it through ice cubes, through shamrocks, through, uh, through, through stools, through uh, basically anything we can try and describe the Trinity with, but the reality is that we're never actually going to comprehend it. I am fully convinced that we will get, we, we will be in the new heavens, new earth, resurrected body, and we will look at the Trinity and we will go, yeah, I, I still don't get it. But you'll never plumb the depths of its wonder. So, so speaking on the Trinity, um, think about what joy God is displaying here. I mean, Jesus comes up from the water. He doesn't have to confess any sins. He just immediately pops out of the water, and immediately God is celebrating in himself. God is celebrating in his triune, in his, in his, in his fully three-in-oneness. He's celebrating this one act of simply going under the water publicly. There, there was such joy in, 
in this final and decisive statement, the declaration of this upcoming war, that God was ripe with praise. Jesus had obeyed his Father by being baptized. The Holy Spirit manifests and rests visibly on Jesus, and the Father declared the identity and love of his Son. Now, the Trinity, I, 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 I don't want to get into muddy waters here, but it's really hard to explain the Trinity. Uh, one, one wrong interpretation of, God, uh, of God's Trinity is that he's three persons at three different times. So in the Old Testament, he was the angry father. In the, in the New Testament, he was the, the loving and meek Jesus. In the, in the day and age now, he's the Holy Spirit. We call that modalism. It's three modes of God. Uh, it's, it's a heresy. It was condemned. It's been condemned traditionally all throughout church history. God is three in one. He is one being God, but he is three persons. Again, we're never going to get that. We're just, we're just not going to. And it's, it's, it's okay to not get it, but it's displayed here. It's displayed throughout the rest of the New Testament. It's also displayed in the Old Testament as well. But, but we're not really going to get it. But what we can see is it showed. It displayed. It's celebrated here. Um, there, was a, there was a church creed called the Athanasian Creed. It's, it's, uh, it was written in the, in the 500s, so 500 years after Jesus came. Um, the Athanasian Creed is the most Trinitarian creed that is accepted throughout Christendom, throughout Christianity. Uh, it, was, it was written clearly because there were people that were arguing with the doctrine of the Trinity, the teaching of, of God's three and oneness. They were arguing with it, and so finally... Uh, a bunch of pastors, essentially scholars, um, got together uh, with Athanasius as the primary one, supposedly, and they wrote this creed. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'd, I'd love to read this because it expresses um, the fact that we won't get the Trinity. We're not going to get it, man. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead, meaning God, of the, or, yeah, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Which means that each one of them has the glory and the beauty and the majesty equal in each other. Such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such as the Holy Spirit. The Father um, un, uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated. Nobody created the other. The Father incomprehensible. The Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal, and they are not uh, three eternals, but one eternal. And then, and then I love this next line. As also there are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one, one incomprehensible. Basically everything I just said is incomprehensible. And I feel like, I feel dumb. I feel dumb when I read this because I don't get it, but the point is that you're not going to get it. <laughs> we just see it. And that's why we want to express it the way that we do as, as the triune God or the Trinity, the, 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 whole, the whole being of God. We're not going to get it. But again, we see it right here. We see all three persons of the Trinity. 
So the father is shown as saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, usually a king marches his victorious commander around uh, a city declaring his, his victory after a battle. Kind of makes sense. You wait till he wins to show him as awesome. You don't want to parade a, a parade like a golden boy around when he hasn't won yet. I mean, that's, that's what we call pride. So, we, so, so you'd think that a king would wait until after the victory to parade him off. But in this case, no. That's not what the father decided to do. The father decided to declare it as, at, at this inaugural moment because it was sure. There is no chance that this Jesus who's being baptized will fail at his task. That should be a comfort to us. That, that really should be something we rest on in, in, in Christianity. Uh, if, if the Father declares something, then it's as sure as it could be. I mean, he spoke the world into existence. I can't, I can't speak spit into existence. It just leaks out of me. It's what happens. But God speaks things into existence. And so when, when God in his fullness speaks the world into existence, that's all three of them in agreement. It's as sure as it could be. And I'm a dad, man. I can't get my sons to obey me to get a glass of water. I wouldn't trust them with glass. I can't get my sons to obey me to get a cup of water. I can get them to obey me to get a towel most of the time when, when they spill water, but that's because they like to clean it up. They're, weird. they're, they're boys. Um, but, but Jesus, the son of the father, obeys his father. He obeys him. There's no rebellion in Jesus. Just submission. And we're going to see that on display the rest of the gospel. He submits to his father. And he submits perfectly. Do you submit to God perfectly? No. That's why you need Jesus. See, in this moment, the son, Jesus, was going through with, with a plan that he and his father had determined before the creation of the world. They had decided that they would redeem humanity, that they would save this, this people. And the baptism that he, under, he went here was his display of obedience. So the father declared, the son obeyed. He was, Jesus obeys his father at all costs. So we don't obey perfectly. Here's another question. Are we willing to obey God at all costs? Cost to our lives? Cost to our neighbor's lives? And even in this time now, man, with coronavirus, are we willing to be socially distanced at all costs? For the protection of our neighbors? Or are we going to rebel? Because I want to rebel. That's where my heart goes. I want to rebel. So as painful as it is, we're, we're supposed to be like the sun in obedience. And we've, we should probably obey. Even if we disagree with it. Even if we don't believe it. This is actually loving our neighbor. And the third person of the Trinity on display here is, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap. 
the, the Holy Spirit is, is uh, Francis Chan, who's a pastor, a former megachurch pastor in California, then went rogue, and now he does house churches. Um, so the, he's, he's not a heretic, I don't think. But he, he's, he, he wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And it's about the Holy Spirit, and the things the Holy Spirit does. Um, but I, I want to I harp in on something that the Holy Spirit displays himself as. Right here. See, the Spirit rested on Jesus as a dove. A dove. Man, if I had to pick a bird to be, I'd want to be an eagle. I want to swoop down. I want to put my claws out. I want to sink them into sink them into something. I want to look cool. What what a weird guy I am. All right, uh, <laughs> but but I would want to look cool. I wouldn't want to be a dove. But it's fitting because you can't find a more gentle creature than a dove. I mean, magicians put them in their pockets and keep them there and save them for a trick. Doves don't seem to have a violent bone in their body. They just sit there and they coo. Jesus himself was actually quite gentle to sinners like you and me. He was accused of eating with the likes of us and ignoring those who thought they should get more attention because they were more holy. The gentleness of Jesus and, and honestly the, the, the gentleness of the Spirit of God should cause us to be more gentle and hungry for mercy, especially when, when, when we don't deserve it from God. We should probably be willing to give it to others. But what gentleness God displays. And just this showing up as a dove. I don't, think, I don't think it's wrong to put a dove on our flags and our banners and bumper stickers and all that, but, but I mean, it needs to serve as a reminder, not as a symbol. Also, something else that, that I think about when I think of doves, I, I think of Noah. I think of Noah and the flood. Um, back, back way, way in the beginnings of the Bible, in Genesis, you've got the story of Noah. And we all know it. We've all heard it. Uh, dude builds a boat because God says to two of each kind of animal walk on peaceably. The floodwaters come, rains for 40 days and 40 nights, and then, um, and then the, the floods recede and the animals get out peaceably and they repopulate the land. Um, so it's, it's something that actually happened if we trust the Genesis account. But we kind of pass over a spot if we just retell it the way I did. Uh, Noah, at one point, when, when the waters kind of look like they're receding, he sends out a dove. A dove flies out, and the dove comes back. And he does it again. The dove flies out, and the dove comes back, bringing an olive branch another time. Which meant that there was a tree somewhere. Nowadays, we may not be in a flood, a literal flood. We don't have water everywhere. But every single person that's alive is on a boat floating atop of God's wrath. And one day their boat will sink. One day, if they don't get to dry land, that boat is going to go straight down. And they, they may think they're invincible, but when that, when that boat sinks, when it baptizes into death, it's, it's gone. So here... In the showing of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, I can't help but think that 
uh, of how, how God saves us. We find, um, we find in this world that even though we're floating atop God's wrath, at some point for all of us Christians, we can say that the good news came to us and we, we, we turn to it. So I'm going to ask you guys, all, again, like three of you watching, um, I'm going to ask you, has, has the Holy Spirit brought you the olive branch of the gospel? And if he has, turn your boat Go to the rock of Christ. Because it, it, the, the wrath will not recede now. The flood is there. Find mercy on the mountain, on the rock of Christ. Sail to his shores. Rest on that mountain before your boat sinks. And for those of us that are sitting on that rock, sometimes we look, up at, we look back at that boat like it's attractive. Like we'd rather be sailing. We know it's stupid. We do, deep down. All of us that are, that are really saved, we know it's stupid, and yet we still look. And we choose to be disobedient as we walk toward it. But God is gracious to, again, and gentle, to remind us to flee temptation. So in the baptism of Jesus, we've got John protesting We've got Jesus saying it's important because it foreshadows his dying on the cross. We've got the whole of God celebrating because of baptism. What a wonderful thing this text is. So, let's, let's pray. Let's conclude. And, uh, and I've got one more song we'll sing. And we'll go from there. Lord, I thank you that you, you were willing to be obedient for my sake. Obedient even to death on the cross. To save my soul from, from, from the wrath that I deserved. I deserved to sink. I deserved for, for a fish to come up and bite a hole in my boat and for me to sink down into the depths of your wrath. But you, Jesus, you decided to save you sent your dove. And I turn to the olive branch of the gospel and I follow that dove to, to your rock. So it's, it's a wonderful thing and I'm so thankful for it. I pray, God, that in this time of, of uncertainty, of, of, of being scared for maybe our lives or maybe our country or whatever, whatever it is we're afraid of, Lord, that you are certain, that you are sure that your salvation is as sure now as it was declared on the day of your baptism. You are the righteousness we need, Lord. You are our salvation. May you be praised by us in these days ahead, and may we, may we preach your gospel. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Our imaginary congregation, as you face uncertainty, as you think this week on the baptism of Jesus, on, uh, on what it represents, what it means, and how, how we think on it, I pray that it ekes into your heart, um, that you are able to meditate well on it, and that God is glorified in those thoughts. But don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. I don't just mean get baptized. But, but love your neighbor. 
rest in his righteousness and land on that solid rock and recognize where your hope is. Go in peace, saints.